kind of been my prayer this week that I would be satisfied in the Lord. And as I come up to preach this morning, um, I'm really reminded that our satisfaction is in God alone. And everything else is sometimes unsatisfactory, right? And God himself is what we need um, even in this life. So we're doing this series on the tree and um, today we're going to be talking about the tree on fire. And um, we're celebrating God's gift to man. God coming to dwell among men. Emmanuel, God with us. And before we get to the newborn king who comes to dwell with man, we have to see the story unfolding before us of God coming to dwell with man. In this series called The Tree, we've looked at the Bible And the Bible is full of pictures that help us to understand the biblical narrative of the gospel message. Last Sunday we looked at the garden and this tree of life. And the garden is the place where God places his creation, man and woman, and tells them to eat, eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of of life and live forever in the presence of God, walking with them in the cool of the day. We saw two words last week that describe what Adam is to do in this garden, is to work it and to keep it. And these describers are like a hyperlink, if you will, to what will be called the tabernacle and later the temple The place where God dwells among his people, Israel. In the days of Moses, these Levites are priests and they are to work and to keep these grounds. They are to minister and to guard this area, this place where God dwells. Adam and Eve are seen as these kingly priests in this garden. They are to rule and reign over God's creation. And they are to partake of God's divine presence in fellowship and relationship with him as they work and keep this garden. So what happens, right? Well, we know what happens in the story. They choose their own wisdom. They choose to go their own way. What looks good to the eye, to the taste, seems to make one wise in their own eyes, brings about a whole lot of pain, suffering, and eventually death. And the stories of the Bible show us this. The next story, Cain and Abel, we see death immediately entering into the scene As evil reigns supreme and the whole earth now becomes full of wicked descendants of Adam and Eve. As God declares that he is going to destroy the earth with a flood. 
And we get this recreation or this reboot of a man named, with a man named Noah. And uh, I, I want to trace the, th- the theme of trees really quickly, if you will, from Adam and Eve to where we'll be this morning with Moses and the burning bush. So bear with me as we intro into Moses and the burning bush. Noah is called a man of righteousness, and he builds an ark. And guess what the ark is made of? Gopher wood. And where does he get the wood? From the tree, right? It's interesting to note that the Hebrew word for tree is the same Hebrew word for wood. Eighth is the Hebrew word. So Noah builds an ark made of trees, gopher trees. Will this be the one who will crush the head of the serpent, return man into the Garden of Eden to partake of the tree of life? As the waters recede, the flood, after the flood, the ark rests upon the mountains of Ararat. Ezekiel 28 describes for us that the Garden of Eden is on the top of a mountain. And again, We are to have our mind of this meeting place of God in a high place as Noah sacrifices some of the clean animals. As he creates this altar as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And what is he doing as he's doing this? He's trusting in God's plan above his own way. That's what he does when he builds the ark. That's what he does when he sacrifices these clean animals that will be useful for him to eat. He sacrifices these things on the altar of the Lord. It's almost as if God is describing Noah as cutting down the tree of knowledge of good and evil, building a boat with wood, and now presenting it to the Lord as an offering unto him in the temple And in the tabernacle, we won't see a tree of knowledge of good and evil. We'll see the holy of holies, which last week we talked about, representative of this tree of life, the presence of God, partaking of God himself. But there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil in the temple, if you relate it back to the garden. And why is that? Because it's an altar to make sacrifices to the Lord. The tree has been cut down and placed upon an altar to give glory to God himself. And so what happens with Noah? He blesses Noah and his family. He says the same words to him as he did Adam. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Will Noah be a better Adam? Well, the next story is about Noah and him getting drunk and failing, just as Adam and Eve did. And then we see the descendants of Noah just as wicked as the descendants of Adam and Eve. And what do they do? They build the Tower of Babel. They try to make a name for themselves instead of making God's name great. And again, the wickedness fills the earth and God comes down to create the nations and languages so that the wickedness will not increase. 
The nations are scattered throughout the earth, and then God chooses one nation for himself. He calls a man named Abram from the Babylonians and makes him a great nation. And all of the nations will be blessed through Abraham and his seed. And what does the Lord promise to Abraham? The land that I will show you. And what is that land? The land of Canaan. And he describes the land of Canaan in Genesis 13, 10. He says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Similar like to the garden. The land that Abraham goes to like the garden of the Lord. So what happens when Abraham gets to this land that God shows to him? He appears to him at where? The oak of Shechem, a tree, right? We see these throughout the scriptures. And the Lord says to your offspring, I will give this land. So what does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Again, the pattern. God's man, God's people, trees, offering. But again, the very next section at this point, we think, is Abraham going to be the one who crushes the head of the serpent? No, it will come through Abraham because of the next, very next section, Abraham fails. Again, not trusting God's plan by giving his wife, Sarah, to Pharaoh. Instead of telling Pharaoh that he is his wife, he tells him he is his sister. Abraham will fail many times, taking God's plan into his own hands, taking Hagar as his wife, not trusting that God would provide through Sarah. Abraham fails. He ends up hurting a lot of people, but God shows grace to him, and ultimately Abraham trusts God. And how does he do that? Genesis 22 tells us that. I'm going to read for you Genesis 22, 1 through 3 because there's too much involved here to not tell you this. But Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your one only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. What do we see here? We see a mountain, Mountain Moriah. We see a sacrifice. We see trees, the wood. He cuts down the tree and literally places the tree in his son's hand. The Lord has said in verse 1, this is a test. And we know what happens at the end of this story. God provides a substitution for the sacrifice of his son. 
On this mountain, Mount Moriah, they will one day build the temple where the presence of God will dwell among his people in what will be called Jerusalem. Also, near this mountain, there will be one who will come and he will die upon a tree for the sins of mankind. I want you to see these pictures. These pictures show us the beauty of the word of God. These pictures show us that this story is one story about Jesus Christ and God's redemption, his restoration, his bringing back mankind to himself. And when we come to Moses this morning, we come to one who, like his forefathers, will enter into the presence of God on a high place in a mountaintop with a tree involved. It is here we get the tree on fire. Exodus begins this story much like uh, Genesis would It says in Exodus 1, chapter 6, Then Joseph died, and his brothers and all that generation, God's people, end up in Egypt because of Joseph. We know that story as well. But the people of Israel were fruitful, increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Remember Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And now God's people are doing that in Egypt. Egypt. Pharaoh feels threatened by them. He begins throwing the boys of the Israelites into the Nile. And the narrative tells us in chapter 1 that there is a son that is born. Remember, it's referring back to Genesis 3.15, where there will be a son of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Is this the one Is Noah the one? Is Abraham the one? Is Moses the one? No, they will all point to the one. David will point us to the one who will be Emmanuel, God with us. And guess what? The son is born. The the, the mom sees that this son is good. She doesn't want to give up her son. So what does she do? The Bible tells us that she creates an ark. The ark is used twice, one for Moses here and one for Noah. Creates an ark made of reeds and he puts the baby into this ark and floats it down the river. One day... A lady in Pharaoh's household takes the baby for himself. He grows up in Pharaoh's household only one day to see an Egyptian beating one of his own people, a Hebrew, God's people, and he kills him. He thinks to himself, no one saw this, but two men are fighting, two Hebrew men, and he goes and talks to them, and they tell him, you have killed a man. Moses finds out that he is, what he has done 
is uh, around the town, and so he leaves. He jets out of Egypt and goes to the wilderness, and that's where God will call him to himself. He will tell him about the blessings that he has for his people, and he will send Moses out from his presence to rescue and deliver God's people from Egypt. This is where we pick up this morning in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Thanks for bearing with me. I hope that you understand to get to this part of the passage, we needed to understand the past. And now we are here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. If you'll stand with me in reading God's word We'll hear what the Lord has to speak to Moses this morning and hopefully to us. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire Out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. The word of God, you can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you bring peace and hope and joy and salvation. Father, we thank you that you see us today, where we are, wherever we are in our life, that you know us. 
that you have delivered us. And Father, we, we thank you and praise you that we are satisfied with you. And you alone. Father, help us to get rid of all the distractions that are occurring right now in our life. And help us to focus upon your word and your truth that we may understand and know you. Your grace and mercy and your great deliverance through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus' discipleship method was pretty simple. It was this. Call people, namely calling them disciples. Have them dwell in his presence and then send them out to proclaim the good news of his deliverance. That people could enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Mark 3.14 says this, And he appointed twelve, and he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. <laughs> it's very interesting. This discipleship method is also used here. <laughs> In the tree on fire. I'm going to call Moses. To myself, to come into my presence, to hear who I am, to see who I am, to watch my deliverance of God's people. And then I'm going to send him out to them to declare it and bring them out, to lead them out of Egypt. To the land that I promised them. We just walked through the whole book of Acts as a church and we saw the deliverance of God. God taking people from darkness to light. The church sent out, the sent out ones into the world. The church and the power of Moses and Elijah proclaiming the kingdom of God has come. The tree is on fire. Let's enter into his presence this morning. Look at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses in... Um, in tradition here, is in the line of David as a shepherd. This will precursor what he will do with God's people as he will be their shepherd or under-shepherd of God's people as he will lead and guide them through the wilderness to the promised land. His father-in-law is a priest, and him and Aaron will act as the priest. Aaron will be called the high priest 
who will enter into the presence of God on behalf of the people to make atonement for their sin. And they come to this mountain called Horeb here. It will be called Sinai later. But it's described, Moses describes it as the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is our first point this morning. It's thus. God calls people to himself. God calls people to himself. Notice the theme here, the pictures from the stories that we just recounted earlier. Moses on a mountain in the presence of God. God's people will actually return to this mountain. They will see God's presence come upon the top of the mountain as they are delivered from Egypt. The angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. This angelic being is representing the presence of God. It could be a theophany as the narrative changes later to God himself speaking. As verse 4 declares, God called him from the bush. The bush in Hebrew is sineh, right? And so the sine at Sinai, okay? So it's a play on words in the Hebrew. The sine at Sinai. That's what he's telling us here. It's helpful to remember these words. And this happens over and over again in the Hebrew text is they use these wording to help you remember the story. Again, the Old Testament pictures are being drawn. Moses on top of the mountain, a high place where he meets God. There is a small tree, a bush, in which is on fire, yet not being consumed. We've already said that Moses' mother places him in in the Nile on an ark made of reeds to reference us back to Noah. And we are referred here in verse 4 to Abraham when God calls his name just as he did Abraham on Mount Moriah And both have the same response, here I am, which in the Hebrew is hineni, here I am. So now we see this picture again clearly, this holy place, God meeting with man just as he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Then he said, do not come near. 
take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, the temple later will have a place called the Holy of Holies. It's the very essence or the inner sanctuary. It's the place where the presence of God dwelt. It was separated from the people with a huge curtain. The high priest could only enter into this, this place one time of year, and it was only for the atonement of the people. And last week we talked about this, this picture of, of the tree of life and the garden as this picture of the temple or the, uh, or the tabernacle in which was, was built to, to signify this place where God dwelt among his people. And the tree of life pictured in the garden is in the middle of the garden where the place of the holy of holies would be and Moses enters into God's presence and the place where he stands is holy. He cannot go near the presence of God. He must take his sandals off because of the uncleanness of Moses. His dirt, his dung on his feet, being a shepherd. He must enter into God's presence because anything unpure or dead cannot enter into the Lord's presence. You see, the veil or the curtain, it was a barrier so that man could not carelessly or irreverently enter into God's awesome presence. The high priest, when he would enter in the Day of Atonement, He had to cleanse himself. He had to wash himself. He had to put on special clothing. He had to burn incense to let the smoke cover his eyes from a direct view of God. And he had to bring the blood with him into make atonement for sins. Hebrews 9, 7 says this, but only the high priest entered the inner room And that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Moses has a similar experience where he hides his face because he's fearful to look at the holy God. What what is your view of God? Do you fear the Lord God Almighty? When the Lord descends upon the mountain, the people crumble in fear as they see and, and, and visit God's presence as they return. This is later. The people are freed from Egypt. 
God says, I, I brought my presence so that people would fear me and obey my commands. It, what you think about God actually determines how you walk with God. If you have a small picture of who God is, probably won't live according to his word. And this is really how the Lord works in each of our lives. He calls us, right? Rob, Rob. And we encounter the Lord God Almighty. Maybe through his word, maybe through his church, maybe through people who tell us about who God is, but we encounter the Lord God Almighty. And we view God through that lens. I guess my first question is this, are you hearing that the Lord is calling you? Are you seeing what's going on around you? Moses has to see this bush that is not burned. And he goes near to him and then the Lord calls to him. And then the Lord explains himself to Moses who he is. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And, and you, you'll see that in the text. We, we don't have time to deal with it today, but he, it gives him his name, I am. He tells him what he's going to do in delivering and bringing about his salvation. And these are all the things that God does with us. We enter into an experience with the almighty God. And he tells us, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to save you from your bondage. But I guess the question is, do you fear God? Because when you read the Bible, you will see that there is a creator God who is gracious and merciful and loving, yet he punishes wickedness and sin. He is to be feared because he brings about his salvation through his judgment. You see that all through the Bible. He saves God's people out of the Red Sea by judging Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He brings about his salvation with Noah through judgment of his people. He brings about salvation on the tree and the cross, which we'll talk about next week, through his wrath being poured out upon Jesus. So after you begin to fear God, as you begin to become aware of who he is, you begin to experience this God, 
you understand that he genuinely wants to bring you into his blessing. He does not want to curse you. He wants to bring you into the blessings of God. He wants you to become his family. And this is what it says in in verse 7. Then the Lord God said, I have surely seen the affliction of whose people? My people. Who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is our second point this morning. God calls his people to himself. That's the first point this morning. The second point is this. God calls his people to himself to bring God's blessing to others. He calls Moses for one reason alone. To declare the blessings of God upon the whole nation of Israel. What was Abraham's promise? Genesis 12, 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise of blessing. Abraham is called by God just as Moses is called by God. And God will bring his blessings to all the families of the earth through Abraham in the same way God is calling Moses to bring them up out of slavery in Egypt to a land flowing of milk and honey. Now what's this? What is this land flowing of milk and honey? What does that mean? It's a reference to the vegetation and plants that are in the land. Milk Because the cattle can graze freely in enough pasture to host many cows producing good milk. And honey because the many bees that pollinate all the plants and the flowers. What what are we talking about here? The garden. (laughs) The garden-like place. The land, like the garden in which God placed man in and his presence dwelt with them. What, is, what do we see happening as they travel? You see the pillar of fire, God's presence dwelling among men during the night, during the day, cloud. God's presence coming and dwelling with his people as they go to the land in which God has provided. God hears their sufferings. He hears their cries. And now Moses is calling. Now he's calling Moses. That's what his name means. Out of the waters. To bring his people into the good land. I, I, I want to make a note here. Because I think it's very important for us to understand God calls Moses to himself 
not so Moses can just stay on this mountain. Right? God calls Moses not, not to just stay in his presence right here on this mountain forever. But he calls Moses so that others might experience the blessings of God as God created him too. Look at verse 12. He says, a sign, a sign that I have for you, I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You, you plural, you shall serve God on this mountain. Not just you, Moses, but all the people. Just as I have, you have experienced me upon this mountain, all the people will come and experience me. Just as I am taking you to this land, now all of my people will go to the land which I have called. Abraham made a great nation so that all the nations will be blessed through him. It's not about us. It's not. God wants to use you to bring others into his blessing. What, what is his blessing? I keep talking about this word blessing. You got it in your point, Rob, and you're talking about this. And Abraham says all the nations will be blessed. And it, what, what are you talking about? Is it the land of Canaan? You think? No, no, I, I think it's the, what the land of Canaan represents, which I think is best described in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. I believe the blessing is what verse 10 tells us in this text, which is that we are children of God. Look at verse 10 with me. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the blessing of God that we are called his children. John 1.12 says it, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. See, Moses is not called by God just for himself to enter into God's blessing, for himself to be called the children of God, but to bring others into God's kingdom. You see, all the blessings of God are found in Christ as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. <clears throat> you 
God calls his people to himself to bring God's blessing to others. And now we find the specific way in which God works through his people. We've seen this in the book of Acts many, many times. Let me read it for you, see if you can point it out. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is our third and final point this morning. God calls his people to himself to bring God's blessings to others. By how? By sending them out. God sends his people out to proclaim his salvation and deliverance. He does it here with Moses, and he does it here with his church. The Bible uses the exact same language here as Jesus uses with his disciples. God says to Moses, I will be with you. You feel inadequate? I will be with you. Jesus, as he gives the great commission, what does he say? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you. Right? Moses, I am sending you. Disciples, I am sending you. You will experience the presence of God for a purpose, to be sent. Every, every week we say these words at the end of our service, you are sent. You see, in the gathering of believers, what we call the church, the people of God, we ought to experience God himself. We should see the beauty of his grace, fear the wrath of his judgment, and what we sing, what we preach, what we study in his word matters as we see God for who he is. You can't miss that. And the Lord, my prayer is that the Lord comes and he meets with you. Every single week. And when you're not here in the presence of God's church and the people of God, I, I pray that you experience God every single morning. You wake up. You spend time with the Lord. But the Lord doesn't call us to himself just so we can wake up and spend time with him. The Lord doesn't call us to himself just so we can meet together and experience the grace and mercy of God every week as we worship together this great God. No, there's a purpose for us. 
Just as there was a purpose for Moses to experience God's presence, he and Aaron would be priests. What would these priests do? They would declare the mercy and the grace of God. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, Peter is speaking of the church. He says, but you, church, people of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see that? You understand that text? You're a royal priesthood. Just like Moses. You are to declare the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once you were in Egypt enslaved, and now you are God's people. Church, once you did not know salvation through Christ, and now you are saved, you are changed. You have regenerate hearts. The Holy Spirit dwells among you. You are God's people. And now you have received mercy and grace and you declare that to others. Moses is like a lot of us in this room. Who am I? Who am I that I should go on behalf of the Lord to make disciples of all nations? Who am I? Notice God doesn't address Moses' inadequacy but responds to Moses with this. I will be with you. You have all you need, Moses, with the Lord God Almighty. We read through the story of Acts, didn't we? Tongues of fire come down upon the disciples. The presence of God would go with his people to declare the message of the gospel. Jesus would send out the twelve and then the 70, and then the church to declare his salvation among the nations. I'm reading the Old Testament, and I'm seeing it. The tree on fire, God's presence, the priesthood of the believer, those who declare What God has done in his deliverance and his salvation. You see, the Bible is truly one story. As God is bringing us back to his design and his creation to live with him forever. God will come again. Make his presence dwell among his people And he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The king priest who will one day give his life on behalf of the people so that the presence of God may dwell 
with them in the Holy Spirit. And they will be sent out as the church, the people of God, to declare God's salvation among the nations. Will you be a part of his story? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the truth of your word, that the tree is on fire. Father, your presence is amongst your people. We cannot deny that your word has power. It shapes our hearts. It gives us wisdom and understanding who you are, what your plans are, and how we should respond as your people. Father, we are grateful and thankful. We are satisfied and find satisfaction that we are called children of God. That we may enter into your blessing as called ones. Father, help us to recognize that you are all we need to be sent out from your presence as your church, the people of God. Father, we are weak. We grumble and we complain. Father, we create idols in our own hearts, in our own lives. And yet you still love us. You come after us. You chase after your people. Father, continually offer us grace and mercy through Christ. We thank you for the gift that you have given. We thank you for this body, the church, that we see the presence of God dwelling among your people. Help us to see trees that are on fire, people filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now,